one of the most powerful verses, in my opinion, in the New Testament for the church is a three-word verse, and I've preached on this before, and it's found in Luke, and it's a warning verse. And it was spoken by Jesus in the context of the end of time, and it's remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. And so when Jesus says to remember something, I think it's probably a good idea to draw it back into our mind every once in a while, to remember. Why does he say in the end of time, it's very important to remember this lady? Well, who was this lady? Well, you guys remember the story probably with me. If you don't, a quick refresher. Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. His uncle Abraham was pleading for his protection. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, we're going to wipe it out because the sin of the city has reached up to heaven. And Abraham pleaded and he interceded back and forth with the Lord. And the Lord said, if there's 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the city. Well, it ends up there's not. Well, the angel goes to rescue Lot and his wife and their in-laws, their daughters and sons-in-law. And by the skin of their teeth, they escape Sodom and Gomorrah. They literally have to grab them by the hand, the angels do, to pull Lot and his wife and his daughters out. Sons-in-law, peace out. They stay there. And the angel says, do not look back. Do not look back. Keep on going. Keep on running. Get out of this place. And Lot's arguing, can I go to this place and not that place? Okay, so they make provision for him. And Lot's wife when the fire and brimstone are falling on Sodom and Gomorrah, looks back. But it wasn't just a glance. She looks back with the desire of her heart that she longs for her home. She longs for the world and its system that she loves so much. And she turned into a pillar of salt. It's a dramatic story. And Jesus says in this passage to remember that if you take both hands to the plow, and then you look back, you're like her. He says, anyone who puts both hands to the plow and then looks back is not worthy of me. Meaning, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Because if I do, my second condition is worse than my first condition is. We'll look at that here in just a minute. So I want to set up today by saying, I'm going to, I'm going to share maybe a, a difficult word, a hard word that turns into a really good word at the end. So hang with me through the difficult part here, because this is applicable, I think, more than ever in the church right now for us. The desires determine our direction. The desire of our heart determines where our eyes are and where our treasure is and where our direction is. And so Lot's wife's desire determined her direction. She was heading this way and she turned this way because the desire of her heart pulled her back. And so that's why we store up treasure in heaven because it determines our direction. We're thinking heavenward. We're leaning into heaven. We're longing for his appearing. Or we store up our treasure here on earth and actually we don't really want his appearing. We want a nice life right now. And it determines which direction we go, but it's all based on our desires. What do you want? The Lord would ask, what do you really want? Because ultimately, he gives you what you really want. God doesn't throw anyone into hell. He lets them go there on their own accord. He throws Satan, his angels, and all those who are with him into hell. 
God doesn't do that. We go there because we want to. That's the truth. So at the end of the day, it would be the most cruel punishment for the Lord to make someone go to heaven to worship eternally that doesn't want to worship him and wants their own way. So there's two examples of turning back that are really helpful, I think, in the New Testament. And one of those is found in Galatians 4. If you would go there with me, we're going to look at a couple here and then we're going to get to the Psalms real quick. But Galatians chapter 4. You remember he's writing to a church who had been bewitched, he said. They had started off by the Spirit, and they were trying to continue on the work of the Lord in the flesh. And he says, starting in verse 8, Paul says to these believers here, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not little g-gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are like Lot's wife? How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And this is what he means by that. You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. These things were the shadows of things to come. The realities found in Christ Jesus. I fear for you, verse 11, that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Because these believers who had started so well in the spirit now had turned back to complete by the law in the flesh what God had already completed on the cross. So one way of turning back is to go back to justify ourselves apart from Christ Jesus. And you use a bunch of religion to do that. Here's a second way that we can turn back. Second Peter Chapter 2, starting in verse 17. He's talking about people who have left the straight way. People who actually are wandering in darkness. And he says in verse 17, These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty boastful words and they appeal to the, the, the lustful desires of the flesh. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves, listen, to whatever has mastered them. And look at this sobering verse, church. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ... If we've escaped from Egypt, the corruption of the world, and have been brought out, and we've now known our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but we turn back and we're again entangled and are overcome, we're worse off at the end than we were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred commandment that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This is a passage about apostasy. It's zero popularity in the church today. Uh, if I see you next week, it'll be a surprise to me. Um, but I, I, I wholeheartedly believe, and I agree with Francis Chan, that the lukewarm and loving at church is more in danger of the fire of hell than 
all of the worst of the worst of the worst in the world that are atheists and denying God because it's better to be cold than lukewarm. Because when we're lukewarm, we don't know how close we are to the fire. The frog in the boiling pot's so close. And so he says, actually, if you say yes and then turn back, it's worse for you than, saying, than just saying no. It's really dangerous to say yes and then put your foot back in the world and like, like Lot's wife, turn back around. It's really, really dangerous. And this, what I just described to you, and you don't have to turn there, but go study 1 Corinthians 10 this week. Everything I just described to you is summed up in the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 10. Because he says, don't you know that Israel's history is written for you and for me in the church? What did Israel do? Well, all of them were under the cloud. And all of Israel passed through the sea. And all of Israel was baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. His body, the manna, the bread from heaven, and all drank the same spiritual drink from the rock that is Christ Jesus. Yet, or nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them whose bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So it's a warning. And so in verse 12 of chapter 10 there in 1 Corinthians, he says, so take heed. If you're standing firm, if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. I'm good to go. I'm going to heaven because I prayed a prayer when I was eight. I'm living exactly like the world and I'm bearing no fruit, but I said the magic words, so I'm going to heaven. No, you are not. And no, I am not. If we hold our conviction firmly to the end, we will be saved. This is not preached and I'm so concerned about it, guys. We must remember Lot's wife. She was rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and she turned back. And I've seen it, and it breaks my heart, and I've had so many people, not so many, I've had some people close to me who have spoken words of life, been filled with the Holy Spirit, have proclaimed salvation and led others, and they've turned back like Demas, in love with this world. And their second condition is worse than the first. So it's a warning for us. So here's what I want to say to you. Psalms 85. If you would go back there. We're going to get to the good stuff. This chapter just reached out and grabbed me a week or so ago. And I just have not been able to move off of it. It's 13 verses long. And I'm, going to, I'm going to read it. So please... Please don't check out when we read here. Pay attention, all 13 verses. Listen to me. I'm gonna, we're going to kind of break it down a little bit here together, and we'll wrap up praying here. Psalms 85 of the sons of Korah. You, O Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. This is post-exile, by the way. Israelites had been in exile in Babylon. They came out of slavery. They were set free, and now this is post Babylonian captivity. So he says, you showed favor to your land. You restored our fortunes. You brought us back into the land. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and you turned from your fierce anger. Now, 
Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your current displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? This is the famous verse here in Psalms 85. Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace, shalom, to his people, to his faithful servants. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who respect him, who fear him, who honor him, so that his glory may dwell in our land. Verse 10, love or truth, love and mercy and truth and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares a way for his steps or prepares and makes his footsteps into a way in which we can walk. Okay, 13 verses here. Read through it fairly quickly. There's four sections I want to take you through here. Number one is the reminder. Verse one to three. This is what you did, Lord. You showed us favor back in the day. This is the reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Salvation came out of Zion for us. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Their leader will be one of them. The reminder is we've got the forgiveness in verse 2. He forgave our iniquity. We've got the atonement there where it says he covered all of our sins. And we've got the propitiation. He set aside his wrath and he turned his fierce anger. This is what happened for you and me as believers. We were forgiven. This is what happened in the past. We read it in, in Micah chapter 7 today. He took all of our sins and he put them under his feet. And he buried them in the depths of the sea. Praise the Lord. That's what he did. But... Something is going on right now. And what's happening is I'm sensing a heavy weight over my life or over the church. I know what happened in the past, but right now I sense some displeasure. I know he loves me in Christ Jesus, but there's something not breaking forth in my life. Even corporately, and this whole passage is corporate, it's not individual. This is, this is the Lord's people that we're talking about, us and our, not I and me. And so there's something over the church right now that's kind of a heavy weight. And the church is largely dismissed in culture. Amen? Uh, oh my, sorry. The church is largely ignored because we really don't have a place. We're marginalized. We're not well respected in the culture. And so this displeasure of the Lord over the church right now is something that we sense. Nobody really likes to pray. On the, on the whole, don't, many people don't like to pray. Many people are very worldly in the church. Most people don't read their scriptures at all, if, if at all. Most people don't walk in purity of heart and holiness. This is a problem because God's people are called to be separate. And so we say in moments like this, moving on to verse four through seven, yeah, you did that in the past, but I want you to do something now. I want you to restore us, Lord. I want you to revive us again. You remember in 
1 Samuel, at the beginning of the Israelite story there, uh, the priest was named Eli and his wicked sons were Hophni and Phinehas. And they were so wicked, they were impure in the house of the Lord. They were sleeping around. They were stealing the Lord's offerings. Eli was blind. He was old. He was fat. It was not a good time for the Lord's people. The Philistines came to attack the Israelites and the ark of the Lord representing his presence was stolen away from the temple and from the people of God. Well, Phinehas, one of the wicked sons of Eli, had a wife who was pregnant and she gave birth right at the moment when her husband died and right at the moment when the Philistines stole the ark. And they said, you've given birth to a son. And she said, his name is Ichabod. For the glory of the Lord has departed Israel. That's why I'm naming him that. Because the glory of the Lord has departed. And how I know it's departed, it says in verse 22 there of chapter 4, 1 Samuel. How I know it's departed is the ark of the Lord has been stolen away. See, how I know the glory of the Lord has largely departed the church and not dwelling is because we're presenceless. We don't really need the presence of the Lord. We've got programs and activities and and festivals that we can go to and sing songs, but his presence isn't there. It's returning right now. I preached about this a a couple months ago. The presence of the Lord is coming back, but I tell you, the glory of the Lord has departed in a large part that we're seeing in the American church right now. And so the lack of presence is revealing that his glory is not manifesting in Israel. And so revival starts, it's given by God, it's not man-made, and look with me here, it's cried out for during times of despair. This is the very time, we sang it today, I want, you, I want you to revive us, revive this city, Lord. And it's not the world that gets revival first, it's God's people. Revival starts in the church, in our homes, in the house of God. Revive us bring us back to life. The world is dead in sin. They were never alive in the first place. There's no reviving someone who is dead in the first place. Only those who have been alive and now have become dead must be revived and come back. Revival is not the end game that we're looking for. I want to I promote this here real quick. This chapter is famous for verse six. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revival is actually the first step to the end game. The end game is found in verse nine. Verse nine says that his glory may dwell in our land. Because see, when someone's dead and they're revived, when they take a breath for the first time, that's really good and that's super important. That's like what this says here. Revive us again that your people might praise you. When we breathe, it's supposed to be praised. That's normal, but that's not the end. The end is that the glory of the Lord would dwell here and manifest in our land. That we would see it in a real tangible way here in our land. Revival is just what it takes first to get us to that place. Okay, so we've got the reminder, verse 1 to 3. We've got the request In verse four to seven, revive us again. And then you get to verse eight and nine and here come the requirements. I will listen to what God the Lord says because I've made my request known and now after I've talked, I'm gonna shut up and I'm just gonna listen to what he says to me. Here's the terms. 
He promises peace or shalom to his people. The Lord promises prosperity. He promises blessing. He promises protection. Shalom means peace. It means it's it's this huge, beautiful word. He promises or declares peace over his people, but the requirement is that they not turn back like Lot's wife to folly. Whether that be to finish by the law, what Christ already did, or to turn back to the lustful desires of the flesh, do not turn back to folly. If you want to live in my peace that I have for you, he says, put both hands to the plow and don't look back. Don't look back. Don't go back to those weak and worthless things. That's the requirement, the backsliding, no retreating, no no going back. And then he says in verse nine, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land, or that the manifest presence of God would be made known in our land. What are the terms for manifesting his presence? Can you look with me in verse, in verse nine, Dean, if you could put that up there? That the glory may dwell in our land, what's required for that in verse nine? Right before Fear, honor, respecting the Lord. Honoring in the unseen place when we're actually on a stage for all the heavenly realms to see in a cloud of witnesses and we're seen by the God of the universe. We're actually very public in the private places of our life. We just don't know it. It takes eyes of faith to see that. The Lord says, you want me to pour it out publicly? then in private, you must fear me. I will not pour it out on the flesh. I'm I'm not going to bless you with more of my presence if there's sin hidden in the camp. That must be revealed. I was in here the other night praying for all of you, and I was praying, Lord, secrets of the heart be revealed in Jesus' name. Because 1 Corinthians 14 says, when you're prophesying and the unbeliever enters, they fall to their knees, and the secrets of their heart are revealed, and they surely the Lord is among you. The very manifestation of the presence of the Lord is seen when secrets of hearts are revealed. And what's in private comes out into public. See, the Lord's all about setting us free. And sometimes he has to pull those things that are in the darkness and the shadows out into the light so that we're set free. It kind of stinks, doesn't it? But it's actually a really good thing. So to the degree that you're aware of his presence, it will be demonstrated by what you do or don't do in secret. The Lord sees, yes, everything we do. I can say up here in front of you all, yay, I honor the Lord. I, I respect him, I honor him. But when I go home in my bedroom or when it's midnight at night and, and what I do with that computer screen, guys, and how I treat my wife or how I how I treat my children, that's where the rubber meets the road. I want his glory to be manifest, and so I must fear him. That's the terms. So the terms of peace, don't go back to folly. Don't turn back. The terms of the glory dwelling in the land, respect him. Respect him for who he is, like he sees you at all the time. Hosea chapter 6, you remember, come, let us return to the Lord that we may live where? In his presence. Okay, verse 10 to 13, we've got the results now. The results of the shining forth of his presence in our land. 
displaying his glory here. Meaning, this means it's obvious that the Lord is among you. This is the good stuff. Love and mercy, or love and mercy, that, that has said word, and truth and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and justice on this side, and shalom or peace embrace and they kiss. This is a big deal. Why is this? Because love and mercy and truth and faithfulness were enemies. Because truth and how we really are dictated that the Lord's love and mercy wasn't ever supposed to reach us. We didn't deserve it. And righteousness and justice over here dictated that the peace and prosperity should have never reached us because we were unrighteous and we were walking in injustice. But now something beautiful has happened. All of these four words meet and embrace. They kiss each other in one location. Where is that, everybody? It's in the land where the glory dwells. Who is the good land, everybody? Christ Jesus. He is the good land. He's the land flowing with milk and honey. All of these things meet in Christ Jesus for us believers. And now they all belong to us. <clears throat> Love and mercy, truth and faithfulness, righteousness, justice, and peace all meet and they're all for us. They're no longer enemies, separated. They're brought together by the blood of, Je of Jesus. You get to verse 12. Or verse 11, faithfulness and truth springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Meaning this, the truth of the Lord's will for your life and his promises in your life are like seeds inside of you. And when the glory of the Lord dwells in the land, stuff starts popping up. The good works that you were created for, they start sprouting up. It's amazing. And then righteousness, like the sun, looks down from heaven and it actually helps cultivate that growth and bring that greenhouse effect in the church. See, the whole point of this chapter is that his glory would dwell in our land, that the church would know his manifest presence. When that happens, the good stuff happens. We get all of this peace and all this abundance. We get faithfulness and truth. And then all these seeds start to come forth. Righteousness shines down from heaven. And look this last verse here. The Lord indeed gives what is good. Our land yields its harvest and righteousness goes before him like a forerunner, like John the Baptist. How I know this is about to happen in the church is that there is this harbinger. There's a this sign of things to come. And the harbinger is righteousness. Righteousness in homes and relationships and lies that have been confessed and strongholds that are being torn down. I know that the Lord is paving a way for his presence to return to the church when righteousness is restored. And so it goes before God as a sure guide and it makes his footsteps into a way in which we can walk. We are actually able to stay in his footsteps and walk in his path. You remember in Revelation chapter two, the church in Ephesus did all these things right. They were so faithful and they were so hardworking. But he says, but this I've, holding against you, you've left your first love. Remember the things that you did at first. Do those things. Do the things that you did at first. And so I wanna plead with you guys as I wrap up here today, 
to remember what God did for you and then to take a long, hard look inside of your hearts today and say, is there anything in me that's turning back? Whether it's religion and trying to perform for God on my own and justify myself or the lustful desires of the flesh that have gotten a hold of me. And then I wanna pray, and I said I was gonna do this earlier, I wanna pray for 2022. I'm specifically asking that this next year would be a year of verse nine of Psalms 85, that we would see the glory of the Lord dwelling in our land. That we would see the manifest presence of God on a regular basis here in our land. So would you join with me here? Let's, let's just wait on the Lord here for a moment. We just ask you, Lord, to bring revelation even now. You said to remember. I'm just asking simply, Lord, for conviction about lukewarmness today. Anywhere that we've turned back, Lord, I pray you'd bring it to mind. We just wanna lay that down right here, right now in Jesus' name. The Lord's not looking for perfection. Just a willing heart. But we don't want to embrace our sin. We don't want to embrace the world, Lord. So as Eric said earlier, I pray that we just cast off these things that hinder us here today, Lord. Shine your light, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I'm asking for 2022 as we come up here on the doorstep. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would make this next year a year where we would see the glory of God manifesting in the church like never before, Lord. I pray for righteousness to lead the way, Lord. I pray for every home represented in here, Lord, that the kingdom of God would come in a powerful way. I pray for healing, Lord. Stretch forth your hand and perform signs and wonders and miracles this next year, God. I pray for supernatural provision. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would revive us again, that we would praise you, God. I pray that we would live in your shalom peace in every area of our lives, God. I just pray not one in here would turn back, God. Not one who hears this recording would turn back in Jesus' name, Lord. Every single one of them, Lord. I pray both hands to the plow and they would press on towards the goal, Lord. You're the only one that can protect us to the end, Lord. You're able to do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, here's the good news. Here's the good news, guys. Here's the good news. 
Uh, this is not on you and this is not on me to do it. Uh, we have no strength in and of ourselves, yeah? But this is what the Lord will do. He is our only God and Savior and he is able to keep us from stumbling and present us with joy before his glorious presence without fault. He's the one. He's the one. So if you heard this word today and you're like, well, doggone it. I'm just a weak mess and all that. Join the club. Join the club. The Lord is the only one who is able to present us pure and faultless before his throne. So we just give ourselves to him again freshly. So let's stand up, guys, if you would. Bless you guys in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray your favor, your protection, your blessing over everyone here, over everyone who hears this, Lord. I pray they would go in peace. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would speak, Lord, this week into their hearts. I pray that you would light up the path in front of them, Lord, and share your opinion and share your hearts with them, your heart with them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.